you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Welcome to another episode of Electric People. We've got a one of my favorite people in the company on our call today with us, Mr. Daryl Doucette himself. Hi, Daryl. He's one of the V... Hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> <laughs> one of the V's of the East Coast, one of my best buds. And uh, to give you a little bit of Daryl's background, he started in the direct sales industry back in 2007 started working for Vivint Smart Home. Um, Daryl is originally from Canada, and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit about how he made his way to the States and in this crazy industry of ours uh, here in a little bit. But um, started up in Canada, was recruited, um, was one of the top salesmen, was leading top teams in the smart home industry. Eventually in 2013, made the move to solar with Vivint Solar. I actually tried to recruit him to come to Boston uh, to open a team for us there. I knew I'd heard a lot about him and knew that he was a, a really capable and competent leader and um, someone I wanted on my team. And he ended up down in Baltimore. Mark Toon just did a better job, I think, recruiting him than I did. But uh, I think that's happened to Mark, all of us at one point. We got, we got yeah, Mark, Mark's gotten the best of uh, all of us at some point. But, um, <laughs> but he ends up down in Baltimore. Uh, with uh, with uh, Brady Colum, also from Canada, and Daryl and Brady opened up that market and absolutely crushed it. And I am interested, um, as we get into this, Baltimore was a really, really challenging market tie when we first opened it. I mean, just every problem imaginable um, Baltimore had. So that'll be kind of fun to get into. He led that team for about two and a half years before he was promoted to be the director over Legion and was a director over Legion for about two years, and then was promoted to be one of the VPs of the East Coast uh, about two years ago. So he has this kind of two-year run where he does uh, manage for two years, director for two years, VP for two years. Daryl, should we be nervous that you're about to do something else? Something big, Time to I make think. some moves, you know? You'll, should chance should soon. chance and should chance and Paul be nervous right now? Is what I'm asking. You. No, their their jobs are too crazy. I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to ask you. So first first question I have for you is how's Grit Fit going for you personally right now? Hey, it's going really well. I didn't have the best strategy. We had this 90 day period. You gotta lose you know a certain amount of weight. I started a week early. Lost all my water weight before this thing even started. It was a bad move, but uh, it's going well. Down 10 pounds or so. No big deal. Yeah, most people try to gain a bunch of weight right before the competition starts. You know what I mean? And then, you know, sand, sandbag really excited, a little bit. You know? I started early. I've been, I've been, see, I've been trying to gain weight for a couple months now, waiting for a competition to start. And I wasn't invited to yours, unfortunately. So I'll have to start my own. Um, but I do want to, so one of the things that's, that's always impressed me with Daryl Ty is I didn't really know him that well until he got into his VP role. Um, I mean, I think we knew each other fairly well, just obviously from conferences and other things. 
Um, but I would say Daryl is one of the best followers I've ever worked with and seen in action where his ability to follow effectively has continually paved his path to his own personal success. So Dale, if you could just kind of start us out with this, like your mentality on kind of being that supporting role, the, you know, almost like the Robin to, to Batman and then how embracing that role throughout your career has eventually led you to the top essentially. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I feel like it's always been important to me to, you know, remember and go back and recognize again and again that my job is to add value. And that goes in all directions. You know, even before I got into leadership, I felt like my job was solely to provide value to my customers and to my leadership. You know, by being hired into whatever position I was hired into, I was trusted. You know, when I was a, a direct to home door to door sales rep, I was trusted with a territory, right? They could have put anyone in that territory, but they trusted me to be effective and productive in that territory. And I felt like it was my job to earn that trust, you know, on a consistent basis. And if I didn't earn that trust, if I didn't, you know, pay rent for that day or that week, that, you know, gave them every right to replace me if that was the decision that needed to be made. So I've tried to, at all times in my career, haven't always done it perfectly, of course, but earn the trust of my superiors. And it wasn't a brown nosing thing or anything like that. I just always felt responsible if someone had trusted me to pay them back for that with results, with work ethic, with preparation, with you know being open to learning and receiving feedback. And I do, I will say, uh, I do see a lot of people, their number one goal is to shirk that responsibility as soon as possible. Like they want to grow and get recognized to the point where they no longer need to be responsible to someone else or have a boss. I always felt like um, the way to be successful and even to measure my own success, to be able to look at myself and say, am I doing a good job? It was purely through, you know, am I getting the results I've been asked to get? And am I getting the feedback that would tell me I'm doing a good job from my leaders? It was never, the end goal was never to get out from under somebody else. It was always to get them promoted. I, I used to tell Mark Toon all the time, my job, my goal is to get you promoted. I want you to be as effective as a leader as possible, you know, inclusive of my results that you've asked me to get for you, that you'll be, you know, able to grow your own career. So that's just always been a mentality of mine. I think, you know, the leaders that I've worked for throughout my career have had that and I've kind of tried to adopt it. And it's definitely uh, at least allowed me to be uh, favorably looked upon by my leaders, I think, at least, if nothing else. That's really interesting, man. Like, I was going to ask you where that comes from. It sounds like maybe previous sales leaders, but it's just funny, uh, Adam, you probably noticed this too, but a lot of the people that we interview, they, they, they say stuff like that. They say, you know, my job was never to attain a certain position. It was instead to, you know, solve this problem or, or whatever. Do, do you recognize that as abnormal now that you're managing other people? Um, I feel like I don't see that very often, but it is a pretty consistent thing that leaders eventually get to the point of. I see a lot of people who sometimes learn it the hard way. I think the both of you have seen that as well, where they will kind of fight against that mentality for a while and really feel like, you know, we're owed something, we're owed this opportunity to break off and not, you know, report to anybody or, or you know, be held accountable and whatnot. But I think the more you take on in your life, when you're given a lot of responsibility, you learn the value of just mastering your one thing, right? 
for those, even, even individuals who have, you know, been fortunate enough to make good amounts of money, you'll start to invest in it. You'll start to, you know, need to have need for an accountant. And you get to a point where you're like, I don't want to be an expert on accounting. I don't want to be an expert on uh, investing. I'm going to go be an expert on producing income. And I'm going to rely on people in my life who I trust as experts in their field. And together, you know, we're going to be able to do something really special. And I feel like eventually you start to recognize that that's the relationship between uh, an employee and, a, and an employer. It's the exact same thing. You know, I want people that I can rely on as leaders of mine to either provide those pieces of value that I don't want to go master in or provide me with partners or, you know, associates that are going to add that piece of the puzzle. So I think it's rare. Um, I think it's sometimes a lesson that gets learned over time, you know, the hard way for folks. And, uh, and when people really start to wrap their head around that, it's a, it's a game changer. The ability to work smoothly with your, with your managers, with your partners, with other departments, you know, at your organization that you have to rely on, the ability to work smoothly with those organizations and those individuals is like a game changer for your business. When you're not spending half of your energy fighting it, you can get so much more done. And that's something I've learned that has helped me a ton in my career. Dude, I love that. Um, I, uh, I've been with the rest of the world. I've been watching this, you know, Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. Do you watch that, Daryl? I watched the first two episodes yesterday, so I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> I've been avoiding it for a it's while. It's I'm still behind, but I love it. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm pretty good with pop culture and like the Bulls in the 90s, that counts as pop culture. It's some of the most important stuff to, to people that are our age, actually everybody. But here's the deal. Um, as you were talking about that, you know, I feel like some people come in with the intent to shine. And when you look at that team and why it was so great is because they just, they just worked together. They found a way to, to win, you know? And, um, it was funny because I was introducing my kids. We have these movie nights every so often. And I was introducing them to the mighty ducks. When was the last time you guys watched the mighty ducks? It's probably been not too long, long ago, actually. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like I was like, that's, kids, that's, to, like, redo that's like a chapter of the Bible for my kids and their education, you know? Yeah. But it's the same <laughs> thing. Funny. Like it's, you know, you take these stories of people that come in and they learn to work as a team. Right. And I've always said like, you know, whether you have a background in alarms or you have a background in direct sales, it's a skill to be able to function well with a team, to be able to not be the one that has a super strong opinion about where you're going to eat, to not be the one that has a super strong opinion about which way the, the team goes, but being able to kind of mesh well. And you mentioned that, um, you know, part of leadership is finding your one thing. What would you say are a couple of your one things that have helped you develop this mindset. Can you say that a couple of your one things? I'm sure yeah. you have more than one. You did one say thing, it, so but I'll answer. It. Yeah, let's just move past um, it and answer the question, huh? <laughs> no, that's a good point. Uh, it definitely was um, something that accidentally, I think, helped me kind of uh, set myself apart. Like I, I in in alarms when I started, it was Apex, and then it became APX, and then it became Vivint. You know, a lot of transitions. And uh, that environment was really, um, I would say, narrow. Like your, your expertise needed to be one thing and only one thing. And that was essentially knocking on doors all day long and same day accounts and trying not to you know, require follow-up with your customers and just be able to put up volume. That was the skill set. And as much as I was able to be successful, I was never the, the top sales guy. Um, I, you know, get a lot of energy from helping a lot of, you know, people around me and whatnot. And when I got into solar, accidentally, I found myself in an environment where 
Um, there was some pretty obvious gaps at the time in terms of, you know, certain jobs weren't being done and certain categories of the business could be heavily improved. And I found myself, I, you know, uniquely able and excited about stepping into those gaps. And so for me, when I jumped into solar, it was, uh, you know, a lot of organization, a lot, uh, we were young, like as a company, we were really young. We were tracking things on whiteboards. We had, you know, the, the software that we we're using to track our accounts was really, really old school. We were recording everything on whiteboards in the office. There was no, um, very few systems, very few, um, you know, uh, very, very small amounts of forethought put into how the program was going to run. We were just excited. We were operating on pure enthusiasm at the time. Yeah, it was like a sugar rush. And I felt like I had just come from this background. The, the two things I feel like are the gaps that I filled. I just come from this background wearing alarms and in, in smart home. It was so uh, intense of a sale. You know, you would meet somebody and 30 minutes later, we were installing on their wall in their home. So you had to be such a good salesperson and there was costs involved, right? It's not like solar where it's essentially no out of pocket. You had to be so good that we trained small little nuanced things like how what this facial expression meant from a customer, you know, how to move from step, you know, 71 to step 72. It was so nuanced that I felt like when I got into solar, um, the product was just so new and exciting that I felt like a lot of those nuanced details of training I could add. And in order to do that effectively, we had to be a lot more organized in terms of how we were doing things. So nowadays it's kind of commonplace, but even running a team with basic systems like uh, slide decks to, to run your meetings around, um, an actual training curriculum, these were all new. These were all um, things that people had gotten by without for such a long time. And I always preached with my team. I said, "This, you know, we're in an, in an industry that's very new and exciting and you can get by uh, and you can be successful without being perfect right now, but there will come a time where that's not the case. That you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, this is gonna be like you know, cars and real estate and whatever, where you have to get out and shine. You have to be excellent at your job. And right now, not being perfect is okay, but not pursuing perfection is not okay, right? That was something I trained on all the time. It's okay to not be perfect right now, but it is not okay to not pursue that perfection. We have to be the first in our industry to become the experts because pretty soon you will have to be that to be able to you know, continue to thrive. And so that was the gap that I filled. I feel like everyone at the time was just operating on pure enthusiasm. And I got in and tried to increase the level of organization, the general plan and focus on you know becoming an expert in our field before it was completely necessary. Daryl, what would your advice be? So, I, I mean, I've always been really impressed with your approach to this job, which is um, a lot of people just kind of have like this, hey, that's not my job mentality to like fix this or add suggestions. Like I'll just stay in my lane, do my job, and I'm going to, you know, rely on other people to kind of do theirs. And I know when we very first started and we're a new company, I think it's easier. It's easier to understand that like it takes a village to get this thing going and like all ideas are welcome and best idea wins and all that good stuff now though i feel like newer reps or, or reps that have been with us for say six months or a year they just feel like it's this big monster company you've got really established leadership that's been here for eight nine years some of them and i think they're a little more timid to you know kind of offer suggestions or kind of do that kind of thing so 
for someone like you who has really made a career out of doing things that weren't necessarily your job, what would your advice be to someone who is coming into the company now? Um, would it be to, you know, just stay in your lane and trust that we're all doing our jobs around you? Or, you know, what, what, how would you approach it if you're starting right now? Yeah, two things. Um, the great thing about how I feel like a lot of sales organizations, but especially uh, the solar industry and Vivint Solar in particular are structured, is that everyone's interests are aligned. Like the leadership in the office only they're only compensated if there are accounts that get installed in the office. So their interests for an individual rep in the office are completely aligned. They want that rep to be as successful as possible from a, you know, a compassionate standpoint of caring about that individual and also just selfish, you know, uh, income related motivations. They need every rep in the office to be successful. And so the leaders, you know, this is what I always tell new reps in particular to answer your question directly. Uh, nothing is, uh, nothing is neutral. Everything you say in your pitch uh, matters, every word. Every word you say in your pitch matters. And so when you first start out, you know zero about selling solar direct to home. Your manager knows, you know, call it 100%, right, or 90%. And there's nothing worse that you could do than not follow exactly the instructions that you're given to be successful. And so focus on every word until you feel like you're part of the job that you've been asked to do, you are very proficient at, and you have to be, you have to be particular. You have to you know, look at every piece of your business. Once you feel like you are proficient enough to train others, then, uh, then I would start to you know, offer advice and suggestions to improve the business. On day one, it's just about getting proficient. You gotta do everything that you're asked to do, and you know, every word in your pitch matters. Um, but to say when you come in, should you start immediately offering suggestions? Um, no, but definitely, you know, as you become proficient, look for gaps that you can fill in your office. If your leaders can, you know, use some help with something, make sure they know that you're available to. And if it's a real gap, this is the best part. It just proves itself. If it's a real value additive gap in the business that you can now add, people will come to you for it. You know, just as when I started, as soon as I you know, made it clear that I could help people with certain things. The fact that uh, they gravitated to me for that reason showed me that they're valuable. If you feel like you're really valuable at something, but people don't come to you for it, it's probably not the most valuable add to the business or to your operation at the time. You've been living in America now for what? How many years? Seven years? Coming off as, a, as an American. Uh, now, I can't, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you have your citizenship yet, Daryl? No, I'm a permanent resident on a green card. Hiding from Trump. <laughs> hey, if you need a character <laughs> reference, dude, you got two of them right here. Are we? Are you going to get your citizenship? Like, what's the deal? Yeah, you need to be uh, on a green card for five years. So I'm two years away from that. I was on a visa at first, been on a green card for three years. So I'll get there. I like it. I'm now for you, man. When you when you officially become a U.S. citizen. One, we're going to have a big party for you. We're just going to play Bruce Springsteen and <laughs> Lee Greenwood for, you know, three hours. But, um, but <laughs> um, what has been, I'm kind of curious. I know Canada is, you know, basically America anyway, but um, what, <laughs> but the eyebrow what raise, been, dude. <laughs> I know what this it's, it's really fun saying stuff to purposely offend people, but, um, but what's been the most just kind of 
unique thing about just moving from Canada, your family, I know your wife's Canadian as well, and just coming to the States and just like embracing this culture and the company and this change in your life. Like, I mean, it's just so foreign to me. So I am just kind of curious, like completely changing gears here. Just tell us about the the, the experience. Yeah. So when we, I mean, I did what I was doing in Canada for seven years and things were going really well. So at the time, just for a small amount of context, at the time, Vivint Solar was a part of Vivint Smart Home and they were gearing up to go public and break off. And so before that happened, they wanted to, you know, uh, obviously increase the volume of the business. And a good way to do that was to inject some experienced teams into the, into the equation. And so there was five teams that were given the opportunity if they wanted to, to switch over. That opportunity had not been available until that time. And so we were, uh, Brady Cullum and I were running the top team in Canada. And so we were uh, sat down and explained the opportunity. But for us, I feel like it was a little different, you know, to, there was no solar in Canada. It wasn't an option. And so to do this, we had to be willing to completely immigrate to another country and we were running a team of, it was about to split into two teams, but it was essentially 65 reps. It was a really uh, profitable position to be in, you know, it was, uh, individually, it was really lucrative at the time. And to decide to walk away from that and move to uh, Baltimore, which by the way, fun fact, Baltimore has more murders uh, in, what was it? More murders in a month than Canada as a country does in a year. So it was a real shock, a real change. I feel like they got to figure that out. That's an outlier. That's a problem. <laughs> I mean, come on. At least get on par with the rest of the country. But And I love Baltimore. That seems Truly, excessive. It, it, it has some issues for sure, but I that's love that. Part of our, that's, part of, that's part of our character out here. My middle child, June, was born in Baltimore. That's far, I tell her this story all the time. I'm that's like, why she's part so of you. street. Like, this, is, mm. this is part of your culture. You know what I mean? This is who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So we, uh, <laughs> when we moved, we uh, the thing about moving from Canada to the U.S. is you have to meet certain criteria to even qualify for a visa. So out of the 65 reps that we had at the time, only eight qualified to come. And when those five teams are transitioning over, it was kind of understood that the whole team would transition. So I feel like we kind of let some people down when we jumped on board because they didn't realize when they offered it that. You know, we'd only be able to come with whatever that is, you know, 12% of our office at the time. And so we did it. And I feel like maybe Wait, that on, for that on, group of us. I want to ask, I got to ask you this, Daryl. You had 65 reps. Only yeah. eight can come. Was it like a boat leaving a harbor and all of a sudden there's only eight people on it and the other 57 are like sitting there going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you said we were coming, dude. And they're like on the dock and you're already you're 10 feet off the dock sailing away and you're just shrugging your shoulders. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. They just told us only eight. Well, can hey, come. Yeah, it's a different then, career uh, move going with 65. It was a big, uh, dramatic moment. I mean, the equivalent is imagine if all of a sudden chance calls us and says, Hey guys, um, I'm moving to Italy. You know, like it's the same thing. It, it was very dramatic. Uh, a lot of people were, you know, uh, upset that they couldn't come. But for us, I think we all had a burr under our saddle because, we had, uh, you know, the trust of our leadership to go in and, you know, boost the business before we IPO'd. And instead of 65 people, we now had a, gr a crew of eight. And we all felt really responsible to kind of go and get after it and accomplish the same results 
that we would have expected of ourselves with 65 people. So uh, we all just worked really hard. All, all of that initial crew um, of reps are now managing teams or regions or whatever. And, and uh, it, was, it was interesting, but I feel like that, that um, taught me that the more serious you are about something, the more, the more successful you're gonna be. And that sounds really simplistic, but from serious, I mean like, what are you willing to sacrifice? We hire a lot of people and the job is different from what they were doing. We hire a lot of people who are doing nine to fives and they are not going to be as successful doing this if they can't sacrifice certain things that they're just used to in life that you know are gonna hold them back from success. So from my perspective, we sacrificed everything. We moved with a family of five, we all had to immigrate. We left, you know, 50 some odd reps, you know, to just gave them to another manager. We couldn't do anything, you know, else and had to start over and we're way behind the eight ball on day one. So it was it was a really, really uh, interesting experience that we all learned a ton from doing. I think um, as as you were talking, I have a question queued up and you, you actually just walked us straight into it, but I was talking to a leader two days ago and he was talking about being somewhat complacent. He'd been in the same role for a long time. And he had said, you know, am I just, am I just resigned to have the same position forever? And my question to you is you, you've kind of, you've kind of um, gained more influence and more leadership, maybe through unconventional paths. A lot of times the way guys in this industry uh, move up the ranks is they just dominate in personal sales. My, my question to you is what does it take? Cause I spent a lot of time with this leader talking about, you know, there's a certain, there's a certain, like set of requirements to become a really good salesperson, but there's a completely exponential uh, set of requirements to become a good DM and then director and then VP. So from your standpoint, what does it, what does it take? What does it take to actually break through those levels and in, in, of development? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I always, you know, typically for most stages in someone's career, uh, there's, requirements, you know, or at least a rough idea of the requirements to accomplish those or to open those types of doors. So I always made sure first and foremost that I at least accomplished those. Uh, a lot of people, like you said, conventionally will, you know, progress in their careers from just going way above and beyond those and dominating everybody in one category. Um, I always kind of hit the requirements, but um, didn't focus as much on destroying everybody else uh, in those categories. What I always tried to do was um, you know, help as many people as I could while accomplishing my job. So I always made sure the first and most important thing is that you get your job done, right? You can get your job done. Uh, and if you don't know what that is, you can work with your leadership for a very clear list of what that means for you in your role. And I always made sure that I got my job done. And then I just tried to add as much value as I could outside of that. I felt like I, you know, uniquely could help people in different categories. And uh, I always focused to do that. But um, it always led, you know, it always started with a conversation about sacrifice. Like what can I do differently? What can I give up, you know, to help some other people? And it's usually time. So I just put time into everybody around me. Um, a lot of people just the, the conversation you had with that, uh, leader who felt maybe resigned to their, to their position. I would probably say to that person, you know, there's, there's a list in your head of what things you're willing to even consider doing to get to the next level, right? And someone else's list of what's even worth considering is different than yours. And if it is more uh, crazy, whoever's list is the craziest is going to win. Whoever's willing to consider the most uh, impressive eyebrow raising action is probably going to win. There are people out there who will say, 
working on, you know, all day on a Saturday, that's just crazy. Like I've got, you know, X, Y, and Z, I'm not willing to consider that. And the other person who will consider that will win at the end of the day. There's someone else who will say, you know, working, you know, helping someone else without getting compensated right now, immediately for that help is not something I'm willing to consider. And then there's someone else who will go and help those around them without asking for pay for it. And they will stand out and they will be the ones to, you know, succeed in the, in the, you know, ladder climb type of perspective. For me, that was, that was the example. I started managing the Florida program without a title. You know, I just started to help them and and uh, I worked with that team and flew down there and helped on top of getting my job done selling and running my offices, started helping another state um, and, you know, eventually was able to be compensated, but it was six months without. So I just think wh whatever your list of what you're willing to entertain to get a job done, whoever's list is, is uh, more, you know, longer and more intense, more crazy is going to win. Like for me, I was willing to move to another country and that helped me be successful. Uh, I've at different times asked my wife to put children's restrictions on my phone so that I couldn't have certain apps for certain amounts of time, just because I know that if I'm in my car needing to knock and I have them, I'll probably waste time. So that, that I know some friends that would never do that. And uh, there's a lot of things I don't do right, but I think in general, I've just been willing to do some crazy stuff if needed. You know what I mean? I wish I was hooked up to like a heart rate monitor or an energy monitor. Cause I, it's like surging through my body right now. That's, that is so right. That's just the right answer. My, my friend, uh, Jeff Baumsteiger was my fight trainer and, uh, he, he referenced once, um, a quote from this movie bootleggers. I've never seen it, but it's about like running moonshine, I guess. And he says, he says, it's not the violence. It's how far you're willing to go. Right? Like that's, it's, it's one of those things. You know, one of my favorite quotes is by Seth Godin. You ever read anything by Seth Godin? Mm-hmm. Seth Godin's he's incredible, but he says, I wrote this down. He says, how dare you settle for less when the world has made it so easy for you to be remarkable. It's just one of those things where it's like hit, you know, like, and I think those that are willing to um, just embrace a higher level, embrace a higher standard, they stand out, right? They're the real kind, they're the, they're the, they're the clear choice, right? Who do you see? Who do you see now that's doing that? Maybe name some names. Who are you excited about? Who, when you talk about those people that are just willing to consider, I love the idea of the list. Who is that? Who comes to your mind? It's actually been interesting because right now, obviously we're in the middle of uh, COVID-19 and it's been really interesting and in a lot of ways obvious to see who's willing to do certain things and who isn't, right? We've got people totally that agree. are dominating yeah. right now and when you get a chance to talk to them, it's super clear that they're just willing to do and learn new things that other people are not willing to do. Um, we've got uh, Jeff Selnicker in North Jersey, who is just willing to put in the hours and willing to suck, you know, and really be bad at the job initially. And I've seen so many people not be willing to do that. We've seen uh, Bryce Nelson willing to put in hours earlier in the day than he's ever had to do when knocking doors um, to be successful. We've seen Chris Broshu, who's willing to, you know, cold call people on the phone knowing that that's like a one in 80, one in 80 chance that he's going to get a, a deal rather than a one in 12 chance when he's on a door. Just people, it's really obvious in times like this, who's willing to, you know, do certain things that others aren't and things that they maybe didn't have to do before they're put in these situations. And every single time it sets people apart, right? If you, um, so going back to the, the last dance uh, documentary, Jordan was willing after he got cut, right, in high school, uh, he was willing to put in an entire summer of work 
when a lot of people, you know, who got cut from that team weren't. And it's a simple little thing, but the, the, if I always tell reps this, this is the best way to put it. If you were to list your day, a calendar of your day, everything you put in, how many of those things are you willing to cut? Because whatever it is you want to do, it's going to require cutting. You don't have two hours a day that you're staring at a blank wall. Because if you do, it's easy. Just like do something productive instead of that. Whatever it is, your goals are more than what you're doing now. I've never seen someone set a goal lower. And whatever it is, to do more than you're doing now, you need to put more effort into the, that thing. Right? But if you don't have blank space, that means something else has to come out. And so many people have this list of you know, the stuff they spend their time on in a day that they're not willing to pull out. And so their goals do not, they, they don't, they can't operate in the same environment as reality because they're not willing to take certain things out. So the people who are successful just are more willing to take stuff out than other people. They're willing to look at Netflix and say, I, I don't need that. We all love Netflix. We're talking about a documentary right now. But the people who are going to be more successful are at least willing to take it out if it calls for it. Ty, Daryl, you know, I work closely with Daryl on a daily basis, and I get to see this type of mentality all the time from him. And whenever yeah, he just does something, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't like to sniff it, but I like to see it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, but he, I get to see it all the time from him. And whenever he does stuff, he just goes all in. And it's like, sometimes we'll be talking and then he'll say he's like started something new. And then I'm like, well, tell me about it. And then all of a sudden, next thing I know, he's spent thousands of dollars, like already investing into this like newfound hobby. He's got or whatever. And a good recent example of this, a good, tell, a good tell, recent tell, example tell Karen of this Tell Karen we time. think it's cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> That'll help. A good reason to my favorite recent example of this is when the shelter in place started and we quickly realized that our life was going to revolve around video conference calls daryl decided he wanted state-of-the-art video conference equipment and that he was like you know what if we're going to do these calls every day multiple times a day i want to be running the best possible calls possible so he spends literally thousands of dollars like creating this uh, studio in his house. Okay. And the best, this is one of my favorite things that Daryl has ever done because he's just so OCD. He's, he's, he's one of the most OCD people. Not thousands. Okay. I made most of it. He's one of the most, he's one of the most OCD people you'll ever meet. And like when it comes to like, I want this to be perfect, you know? And, and then he won't ever like reveal it to the public or even his friends until he thinks it's like flawless. So we get ready for this big East coast conference call. And all of a sudden Daryl's got like his headphones, multiple screens, mic that's coming in from like the top that he can like move around like big, huge mic. And we start the call. Yeah. Start the call. And I'm like, I'm like, Daryl, you are coming in so bad on the on the sound quality like what is going on dude and it was literally like worse than just like your average zoom call you know what i mean like if he wasn't even like wasn't wearing headphones or anything most disappointing moments was, of my career so and he was just like he was just like ah, like freaking out and then finally takes off his headphones and like takes everything off and he just like goes back to the ipad you know what i mean and um, <laughs> we're like dude That's you great. spent like 
you know, thousands for this moment that I just ended up failing. It was really, really funny. But um, I figured it out now. Anyway, uh, six hundred people watched me fail, so now I don't even want to try again. But yeah, I noticed that you're not. You're still not using it. I thought this was going to be your big moment to like reboot all the equipment. So like, what's going on? Just wait, dude. Just not wait. Daryl Live is going to broadcast from Fenway. Yeah. Not not on our not on our low budge not on our low budge electric people. You're not going to break out the big the big gun equipment. No, I think it breaks something. All right, all right. Well, so what what is? I want people to get to know you a little bit more. Um, so obviously, we just kind of talked about that, but you're a big musician. Uh, both uh, you play guitar, you sing. You, uh, Daryl does all kinds of stuff, Ty, that might surprise you. Um, he makes guitars himself. Um, that's what else, Daryl? I, I plan on making guitars, I've never done it. But. Okay, I, so I you bought all the stuff. You have thousands, you have thousands of dollars in guitar making equipment, just haven't started yet. True. <laughs> <laughs> but how. Uh, and and your Daryl's also like you know he's into you know like fantasy uh, books and like all this kind of stuff. He's very unconventional. I knew we should have scripted this like, call. That would have been off limits, but it's out there now. So he's very unconventional when it comes to like your typical like bro door to door leader that like came up through like athletics and everything else. Although I will say Daryl's a, a sneaky good athlete, but um, what what. What is it about like your particular skill set and interests that you feel has really like helped you be successful with just your sales career, with recruiting, with selling, um, and just the fact that you're not kind of cut out of the normal like cloth? Yeah, I, I actually feel passionately about this topic. Um, the one thing that I think, you know, uh, I pride myself on and it's a little unconventional is that I'm not uh, cut from the same cloth as a lot of, you know, successful leaders in this industry. I didn't come from, you know, a similar position beforehand. Be when I started doing this job, uh, I had come from roofing houses, manual labor, and working at McDonald's. That's what I did before this. And there was a t period of time where I was a little bit like, I don't really want to talk about that. It's not cool. Um, but I feel like, uh, for me, it tells a bit of a story in terms of, uh, and I think a relatable one, a lot of people, you know, aren't necessarily doing something before they do this job that immediately launches them into success. Uh, what it taught me about myself is that um, I am uniquely interested in educating myself. Uh, I'm uniquely interested in taking on a project or a hobby or a new career and like teaching it to myself. Elon Musk recently said, um, the number one thing that people, uh, I, I, I'll botch the quote, that people minimize is their ability to learn something new. We always think you need to learn in a classroom or you need to learn, learn in some formal setting. But uh, I feel like for myself, I was able to go from something completely unrelated um, and everyone can do this and just attack the job and be willing to sacrifice either time, you know, preparation, whatever it takes you to get ready and to go out and be successful. And then learn learn everything you need. That the access we have to information is unprecedented. Like the the wealth of knowledge that we have to help you go be successful at whatever it is that you want to do. You want to learn to develop your basement. You can do it by yourself with YouTube. 
right? You wanna to learn to be successful at direct sales, even if right now you're stacking, you know, you're stocking shelves or something, you have a wealth of information. There's no excuse for you to not be able to go out and get it done. You don't have to be someone who grew up playing sports with your manager or, you know, you don't have to golf. I don't golf. Everyone that I work with golfs. I wish I golfed. I could hang out with, you know, the execs a little more or something. I don't know. I don't do it, but it doesn't matter. You know, as long as you just are dedicated and spend the time you need to educate yourself and become an expert in your field, then you can get it done. It's just, is that in your list of things you're willing to consider? Are you willing to consider self-teaching, you know, uh, yourself how to go out and be successful? So that that's, I would say that's the unique thing about my background, Adam. You mentioned finding uh, kind of like your efficiency here, or I don't know if efficiency is the right word, but you mentioned that before you were doing roofing and um, fast food. You know, I've often felt the same way, like this job's kind of taught me most of like the developmental things that I know. Maybe talk about that for a second. Was there something that unlocked within you that, cause I hear, when I hear of you doing roofing, one, I'll say it, Daryl, I don't even know if you'd be a good roofer. You're a great sales leader, but you don't look like a roofer. You know, what, what is it that, what is it that clicked with direct sales and sales leadership that, that kind of led you on a path of, of personal development and mastery of your craft? First and foremost, I am a fantastic roofer, but- I didn't mean to offend uh, you. I can tell that I did and I'm <laughs> sorry and I did it in front of everybody. No. <laughs> it's all good, it's all good. My wife made a shed in the backyard and I was like, I'll roof it, like immediately volunteered, I love it. But- um, Well, you like, like to make stuff, right? I mean, it looks like you like to create yeah. things, whether that's sales teams, whether that's sales processes, whether it's efficiencies, whether it's artful things, right? There's, there's, there seems to be some sort of desire to create that you've attached to your business somehow. Yeah, so to, to answer your question about how maybe, you know, to bridge that gap, uh, the thing I could credit the most, for myself at least, was I surrounded myself, and this is like classic advice, but I always find the most successful people just take classic advice and actually run with it, as opposed to hear it and not really do anything about it. But the classic advice that really worked for me is I surrounded myself with really successful people with the right mindsets. I actually um, moved into my regional's basement. He developed his basement into a suite and was looking for someone to rent it. And I was like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll move, I'll, I'll move in there. And uh, I was able to spend a lot of time with them, obviously, as a result. And I just picked up so much, right? I, I kind of got away from, this was, I was really young, I was 19 or 20. And uh, I kind of got away from a lot of my previous roommates that were just partying and, you know, not serious about life or whatever. And all of a sudden, I was spending a lot of my time surrounded by other managers, you know, my managers, I was just a regular rep, first year brand new to the industry. And I all of a sudden was just spending a lot of time, you know, with really successful people. And you just pick up things and you start to really, you know, want, um, you know, to have the same mentalities that they do just out of a pure level of respect. You know, you're, when you respect someone and what they're doing, especially when it's in a field that you're trying to be successful in, you want to emulate as much as possible and you're more willing to sacrifice things that you need to sacrifice to get there. And it was just, it was really natural. I developed a ton from increasing and improving the level of people I was surrounding myself with. And that was something I was able to do over and over again. It almost goes back to what we talked about before. When you are a really good uh, follower, which I have sometimes not been, of course, but when you're a really good follower, your leaders will want to spend a lot of time with you, right? Because you're you're taking what you're taught to do and you're doing it. There's nothing more rewarding and exciting as a leader to have someone, you know, do what you're coaching them to do and really attack it, right? 
So when you're doing that, you will have more time with people that you know you should be surrounding yourself with and you'll accelerate your growth. That's always just been something I've been able to um, you know, accomplish when I try to and it's been a huge difference maker. How do you, um, how do you endure the, the failure that comes along with it? Because I, I feel like a lot of people identify with that mentality and they come in like, <clears throat> it was the same for me. Like when I came into this job, I had good friends and I had like, you know, good parents and great examples. But for some reason, my personal development and like my personal like hunger or like my list, as you call it, really started showing up when I started doing direct sales. But how do you how do you endure the failure? Because I feel like a lot of people feel this fire and they start and it's like you with your with your video equipment, right? It's like, oh, this is gonna be great. I'm gonna try really hard. I'm gonna get into it. And then it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden, maybe it's not worth it as, as much, right? Like most people don't fail as as often as our guys do. And I, I wonder if it's a mindset where you just knew it was going to take a really long time, or if you're just good at failing, like, how do you how do you endure when your newfound excitement is met with a little bit of resistance? Yeah, you have to be really good at failure. You just said, you know, uh, you, you said the words good at failing. And I think most people don't look at it that way. It's the same as any goal you set. If you right now we've got a, a fitness group, which if you saw the group, you'd maybe laugh because we don't look like a fitness group. But that's that's the dude. Point. I'll just come out and say it. I'm in one too, so I don't. <laughs> my body hasn't changed in 20 years, but I'm in a I'm in a fitness contest, so we'll see what happens. We're all probably in in and out of fitness groups, but any, all of us <laughs> have set those types of goals, and we see people all the time. You know, especially uh, the gym or diet. Like you miss a day, and so many people's goals that they've set or the plan they've laid out does not include failure, and so they're like, it's it's out the window. It's over. You know, it, there's no point in continuing. Um, but the most successful people will stick with that concept. You know, uh, when they set a diet or when they set a fitness goal, they've planned for mentally, uh, if I fall off, you know, if something doesn't go as planned, here's how I'm going to approach it, right? And in direct sales, uh, you absolutely need to have that mentality. Not if you fail, when you fail. When it's going to happen, you almost need to like run towards that failure um, because it's part of the plan. The plan doesn't go step A, start trying, step B, you know, see the success. It's A, start trying Z, see the success, or Z as we say in Canada, and everything in between <laughs> is mostly failure, right? And you can't get to the end point without getting through all that failure. It's mostly failure, no matter what you set out to do, um, especially when you're new at something, of course. And the failure is just part of the plan, and it's probably the biggest part of the plan. And so you just need to be mentally prepared for what you do when you fail, right? Whether that means you have something set in place that you go do the next day to make up for it, whether it's just a, you know, a memory wipe that you've got scheduled for yourself, you know, to get past it. Whatever it is, it has to be a part of the plan, and you have to embrace it. Can, I share, can I share a quote with you guys? Am I able? Mm -hmm. May I? Go for it. As you were talking about this... Um, I was reading uh, a piece from The Power of Now. If you've ever read that book, it's awesome. It's like super deep. But uh, I think you just sum summarized it. It said, accept, then act. Whatever the present moment contains, accept it as if you had chosen it. Always work with it, not against it. Make it your friend and ally, not your enemy. This will miraculously transform your whole life. It's like that with failure, right? Like you almost just have to kind of wrap your arms around it and not accept it as like a final state is you kind of like have to dance with it a little bit. I think that that's, that's really well said. Successful people are so like, honestly, they're so weird. You know, people 
who are successful like embrace chance always says embrace the suck they like it's like you, when you get hit you know if you're in a fight and you just like grin you've seen the you know the the best fighters in the world ufc boxing whatever if they you know just kind of get lit up for a second and make it to the bell like half of them come out of that grinning you know they're like i'm now in the fight i've seen you know the resistance i've, I've figured out their reach you know like i'm now in it and that's where they thrive because it's part of their plan right and it's it's the same thing with embracing this the sacrifice that we just talked about like for me there's there's some things that are easy for me there's a lot of things that aren't one thing that's easy for me is going to bed hungry so in these uh in these um you know the grit fit program we're in right now there's a lot of people i know that struggle with the diet part i like enjoy going to bed hungry it's a weird thing for me but i like feel like i'm you know doing the hard part of the goal and i like love it uh it's it's something that I know is hard for some people, but for whatever reason, it's something that I actually enjoy. And I feel like it's a little unfair that that's something I just like, but uh, it's something that can be developed. If you really have planned for the failure and you're like ready for the pain, the hunger, the sacrifice, whatever it's gonna be. Like, I like to almost brag about it. I like to tell people, hey, I canceled, you know, uh, TV. I canceled, I deleted every app on my phone. You cannot have fun on my phone. I used to tell customers this. I deleted all the apps on my phone and I had a friend lock it so I couldn't download Clash of Clans or whatever was cool back in, you know, 2007. And I would, I would tell customers this. I was just so proud of it, right? And I used to play it and I had the best clan ever. But I would slide my phone to customers and say, you can't have fun on this thing. It's impossible, right? And it's just a point of pride. Like once you've done it, it seems really uh, hard. Right now, if we were to pull our reps and say, how many of you are willing to delete every app in your phone except for the eight you need to do your job. The amount of people who would say yes is small. There would be some that would say yes, and I would bank on that group being the ones we're talking about on calls like this, you know, six, 12 months down the road. And once you do it, what surprises people is you'll become incredibly proud of the hard things that you've done along the way to your success. It'll make you want to do more of them. And when you do more of them, you get to the next stage of your success. So. Anyways, I know it's kind of a theme, but like I said, there's things that lately I've been latched onto mindset wise that I feel like have, you know, always done, you know, always served me really well. Sacrifice and the fact that nothing's neutral, every little thing that you're doing matters. Um, I think they all are kind of the only things that matter when it comes to how can I do better at my job? How can I do better at parenting? How can I do better in my hobbies? Whatever. Right. Well, it helps you manage your emotions, too. If you're already planning on failure and you already understand that's part of the deal. When it happens, you hopefully shouldn't get as emotional about it when it happens. You just understand it's part of it. I know I'm going to fail at this probably more than I succeed. There's no reason to get spun up about this. Like, I'm just going to go knock the next door and see what happens, right? So, I also think you kind of touched on it as well. For me, um, like you touched on with the UFC fighting for me, that's like the first door of every day. Like you kind of have that that anxiety, that pit in your stomach. But then once you just knock the first door and you get the first no or you get the first kind of door jitters out of the way, for me, I am much more relaxed. Like after that first door, I'm like, all right. And I actually, so something, um, kind of a system that I put in place for this exact thing was I pick a home that... I don't even really want to sell like a bad roof or it's just, I know it'll be a really small system or whatever. And I actually view it as my practice door. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go pick 
three practice doors to kind of get warmed up. And then I'm going to go start picking my nice homes. And so my first couple doors, I'm like, I'm already planning on these not going through. These are just practice doors. I don't even care if I sell them. Like I'm just, this is me just getting the first door jitters out of the way. And then what happens is you end up selling one or two of those just because you're approaching it with that mentality and you're just more relaxed anyway. And then all of a sudden you're selling those practice doors, right? So, um, but it is interesting uh, that just the managing the emotions part of it, the planning on failure, it's a huge part of success. I think for everyone that's successful, especially in this job, that's such a contact sport, you know, Um, true or false, your wife, Karen, is a better door-to-door salesman than you are. Mm, almost true, real debatable. Uh, she did sell, <laughs> that's how I met her. She was knocking doors. She sold for two and a half years. She did quite well, almost as good as I did. And uh, she's very, yeah, she's very talented. Does it help having someone who kind of understands what you're going through? Or do you feel like, it's a double-edged sword where she's like, yo, you didn't sell one today. Like what's going on? Like what exactly? It's not that hard, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've gone through both. So there were periods of time where she definitely knows what it's about and she would, you know, have access to quick stats and say, Hey, you're home and you didn't even create an account today. What's going on. And that wasn't very helpful. Um, so we, you know, eventually struck a, a balance where, um, you know, uh, work is work and home is home. And we do talk about my success and we, you know, have goals together and whatnot. But, you know, there's a little bit of a barrier there. So, and I think that's different for everybody. You know, everybody may uh, settle on a more successful balance between the two. Um, But what is most important and kind of non-negotiable is to set those goals together and come up with the plan together. I've seen uh, a lot of people be really successful just from the fact that they, when they made their plan, because again, your plan will include sacrifice if you want to be successful. You have to do that with everybody in your life that uh, that, that impacts, right? So if you have a spouse or parents or you know kids or whatever, anyone who's going to be impacted by the plan needs to be a part of the plan. Because you can't have those who are closest to you, you know, not know or not be supportive or on board or understanding of your plan when they see you sacrifice things or when they see you you know, uh, give all the effort that you've planned to or deal with the, the failure that you've planned to deal with. They don't know how to support you and uh, or even, you know, how they can support you. So definitely make that plan with everyone in, uh, impacted by the plan. Daryl, it's been awesome having you on, man. Um, I always love catching up. I know we talk all the time, but I know Ty and a lot of the West Coast guys, um, it'll be kind of their first introduction to you. So hopefully, they uh, were able to get a lot of good nuggets and uh, learn from one of the best that we have at the company. And um, yeah, is there anything else that you want to add to this before we wrap up? No, I think uh, Electric People is one of the coolest tools we have in the industry. And um, I think it's awesome that you guys kind of tie uh, different sections of this business and relative businesses together, you know, with the shared experiences. So I want to thank you two for putting this together and for having me on. And uh Happy to be back anytime. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Thanks everybody. That's and that's awesome. another another episode of Electric People in the Books. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. 
leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.